teaching their teenage daughter how to drive. And in the process of that, she wasn't, she hadn't quite mastered it, obviously, because they were going along this stretch of road, and she got scared. She thought it was dangerous, and so what she did was she just closed her eyes and held on. Well, they drove off the road, across a ditch, through a fence, and out into a field. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. The car was scratched up, but they were even able to drive it out of the field. But the idea was quite amazing, you know. You get scared, you feel it's dangerous, and so what you do is you just close your eyes and hold on. Obviously not an appropriate reaction to that. Have you ever been maybe in a car talking to someone as you're driving and in the process of that conversation you're not paying as close attention as you want and you come upon a stoplight and it has changed and you hadn't been paying attention and you you just sort of say, hold on, we're going through, <laughs> it's too late to do anything else. That's dangerous, right? You've got to be more perceptive than that. You can't just ignore the dangers and hope there's no real problem. Uh, oftentimes we use an expression, have you ever heard about sticking your head in the sand? Now that comes apparently from the ostrich who, when in danger, just hides his head from the danger uh, apparently the idea is thinking that it will go away. I don't know if, or, if ostriches really do that or not, but we certainly have the expression of sticking your head in the sand, imitating the ostrich, think maybe that the problem will go away if you ignore it, if you don't, if you don't see it, if you don't pay attention to it, the problem goes away. It doesn't work, of course, right? If you're driving a car and close your eyes, the danger's still there. Uh, if you're an ostrich and you stick your head in the sand, the danger's still there. It doesn't go away. It doesn't go away by ignoring it. This morning we want to talk about an area where it's especially dangerous to ignore the reality of danger around us, and that is in our spiritual lives. Just as foolish as the ostrich who sticks his head in the sand is the person who just tries to pretend or act like spiritual dangers around us uh, are, are not real. We've got to be aware. And so that's the gist of our lesson that we want to discuss this morning. Before we get further into that, we stop to thank you for being present on this beautiful Lord's Day. We're certainly blessed and we're grateful for the chance to come together to worship God, to glorify Him, but also encourage one another. Thanks for being here to be a part of this. We have visitors today and we're very grateful for our visitors. We want you to know that. We hope you'll come back every time that you can. We're always open to Bible study. If you have questions, if we can help and give assistance in studying the Scriptures, we certainly want to do that. Just say a word and we'll make ourselves available to you in those ways. Let's talk about some examples of how people stick their, hand in the, stick their head in the sand and ignore reality. Some do that in regards to the Scripture themselves with the idea that the Bible is just too hard to understand. I, 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 you know, no, nobody can figure that all out. And so some people just act like, therefore, there's nothing that can be done. They reconcile themselves to the idea that the Bible is impossible to understand. Uh, maybe in, in conjunction with that, they hold the view that since the Bible is so hard to understand, it is just subject to all kinds of various interpretations. One person will see it this way, another person will see it that way, and it's just it, that we just have to accept that that's the way it is. We can't do any better. The Bible's just too hard to understand, and so they just don't even try. How often have you talked to someone and you bring up the scriptures, you try to talk with them about the things that are in the Word of God, and they just sort of throw their hands up and say, "I can't understand it. The Bible is just 
too confusing for me. And so they, they just ignore. They ignore the truths that are taught in the Word of God. They won't even try to understand them. When we're uh, addressing people who think that way, who just don't even want to try with the, with the idea of conveying the idea, you can't understand it even if you try. When we're talking to people like that, I think one of the things that... There are some difficult things in the Bible. We're not saying that the Bible is as easy as a third grade reader in every place. Uh, there are some difficult verses. The, pas- the, the passage that, we come, that comes to our mind is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, where even the Apostle Peter said there's some difficult things. Remember he said, "...account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood." which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, and to their own destruction. So Peter acknowledged, Paul wrote some things that are hard to understand. And so we wouldn't want to give the impression to someone that the whole Bible is just very, very simple. There are some complex ideas in the scriptures, and, and they're written about. But the Bible is understandable. In the passage that uh, Larry read for us earlier from Ephesians chapter 3, in verses 3 and 4, Paul said, by revelation he made known unto me in the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Do you get the process? Paul said, God made it known to me. I wrote it down. You read it. You can understand the mystery of Christ. The, the passage goes on to explain that the mystery suggests the idea that these things were unknown in ages past, but now are revealed. And so it's not saying it continues to be a mystery. The, the text actually says the mystery has been exposed. Now we know. We can read. We can understand. In fact, Paul said in that same epistle of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 17, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. That verse actually commands us to understand. And so if the Bible is not understandable, but God commands us to understand it, then he's actually told us to do the impossible. And of course, he would never do that. And so what are we going to do with the Scriptures? This very common idea that, oh man, I, I just can't, I can't deal with the Bible. I can't understand it. I can't grasp it. No one can for that matter. And so I'm just going to stick my head in the sand and ignore it, and ignore all the warnings that are taught in the Word of God. Of course, uh, that's just pure foolishness, uh, and we need to try to convince people otherwise. Certainly, we can understand the Bible. Don't ignore all the important truths that it teaches. On a, getting a little closer to home, perhaps, another place where people are prone to stick their head in the sand has to do with their own faults. Uh, It's pretty hard to think about someone driving a car who would just close their eyes and keep on going. Uh, But a lot of people are doing that in regards to their spiritual life and the the problems that are there that need corrected, but they just ignore them and keep on going. Uh, Jesus said, certainly, that men are prone to ignore their own faults. We have often studied Matthew chapter 7, Remember Matthew 7, verse 1, judge not that you be not judged, uh, is a very much misused verse. But in that context, there in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus goes on, he talks about this really uh, pervasive problem that men have of ignoring their own faults. Remember how he described this in very 
a very uh, vivid way. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. When we talk about those verses, most often we're talking about them in an effort to accurately understand the previous statement, a couple verses before, where Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged. But as you look at the verses here, do you, do you see what Jesus is really saying is the problem? The real problem is that we all have a tendency to be able to see what's wrong with somebody else, but ignore our own issues. That's just sticking our head in the sand, right? And that's a, a, a great form of hypocrisy that Jesus was condemning in this text. Uh, consider how foolish it is to have a beam sticking out of your eye, and yet you're not paying attention to that. You're not trying to do anything about it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul said, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. And that is very important and something that we all need to do. Uh, we can't just foolishly ignore the reality of our own faults. We need to examine ourselves, carefully measure where we stand spiritually. I wonder if you do that regularly. Do you give some time to personal evaluation to see how you're doing spiritually? Or are you just ignoring things that need changed or corrected in your life? Which is true with you? In 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, John said, If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. If you know that there's something that you really need to make better in your life, if you know that there's some spiritual issue that needs corrected, if you know that, John says, then you can for sure know that God knows that. God is greater than our heart. He knows all things. So if, if I know, even though I may try to put that out of mind and ignore it, stick my head in the sand, if I know that it's true, then I can fully be aware that God knows it's true too, and I better be making correction. Uh, people, though, tend to ignore their own faults. And, of course, we've become experts at excusing ourselves. Well, we can we can come up with all kinds of excuses as to why I do this and don't do what I should. Uh, you know, I, uh, someone says, I just couldn't help it. That's just the way I am. Or maybe I've been under a tremendous amount of stress. Or perhaps I could say, I, 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 maybe that's bad, but I know people who do worse things. And on and on and on it goes. Young people may excuse themselves by saying, this is just what young people do these days. Well, that doesn't make it right, of course. In all of that, what we're saying is it is a ridiculously dangerous thing to stick your head in the sand and ignore the reality of your own faults. Deal with them. Change them. Be right in the eyes of God. I'll tell you another area where I think people are prone to stick their head in the sand, and that has to do with the dangers in their own families. We often talk, and the Bible teaches, about the responsibility that parents have in rearing their children. And of course, as you think about the importance of rearing your children properly, what's really scary is when we hear about all the things that are going wrong with young people in our day and time. When we read some of the statistics that talk about uh, teenage immorality and so forth. Uh, I tell you what, parents are, are really challenged in the modern world. Uh, let me recite some of the statistics that were in the bulletin recently. 
just just by way of alarming us once again, as if we needed that, of just how bad it is in the world. Um, statistics indicate that 13% of teens in America have had sexual intercourse before their 15th birthday, 70% before they've reached age 20, 6.5% of 8th graders, 17% of 10th graders, 23% of 12th graders, almost one out of four, have used marijuana in the, in the past month. And so we've got almost 7% of 8th graders who haven't just tried marijuana, they've used it within a, a, the most recent month. Um, and then it, it, of course, increases. One out of four 12th graders have used marijuana. 3.6% of 8th graders, 14.5% of 10th graders, 28% of 12th graders reported getting drunk in the past month. 35% of teenage boys, 26% of teenage girls admit to shoplifting. 83% of teenagers say they've lied to their parents about something significant. 64% admit to cheating on tests. How many more statistics you need? I mean, we can multiply the statistics, right? It's bad. It's, it's really a difficult world to raise young people in. But the frightening thing is that there are some parents who just sort of, like, like that person I was telling you, just closed her eyes and held on, drove through the fence. Unfortunately, there are a lot of parents like that. They're ignoring the reality of the dangers that are facing their young people. I hope I don't have to remind you that we're still obligated, right? In the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Parents are obligated to be doing what's right in regards to teaching their children, bringing them up to be God-fearing and obedient people. Um, I have heard, and you probably have heard as well, the expression, well, the church is losing its young people. The implication of that statement is that it's solely the church's job to rear young people to be God-fearing. Now, that's really a, a pretty desperate effort at, at shifting blame. Yes, the church has an important job to do in teaching the young people, teaching everybody, for that matter, what is the Word of God, what His will is. But it is, without a doubt, the primary responsibility of parents, and parents need to be working hard to teach their children what is right. I'm always impressed by the statement about Eli. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning verse 11, the Lord said, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all the things that I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. What about that story? You remember the story of Eli? Eli appeared to be a, a good man, but he was not a good parent. Uh, his sons made themselves vile. He didn't do anything to put a stop to that. What was Eli doing anyway? What was he sticking his head in the sand? It seems, it seems so. It seems that here was the real situation with his own family. And yet he wasn't doing anything to make correction about that. I gotta tell you, we must take every measure to avoid imitating him. Uh, it is pure folly to stick your head in the sand when there are spiritual dangers confronting your family. To ignore them and do nothing about them is just not right. 
Uh, people are doing that. People of the world are really doing that. Uh, as God-fearing people, we cannot. Let me suggest another area where people are sticking their head in the sand, and that has to do with problems in the church. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, in the book we call 1 Corinthians, there were a host of problems in that church. All kinds of bad things were going on. But one of them is mentioned specifically in chapter 5, beginning verse 1. It is reported commonly that there's fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So here's this immoral man in the church at Corinth. The real problem, Paul goes on to describe, and ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. So you had the problem with that man specifically and his immorality, bad enough. But what compounded the problem and made it so much worse was that the others in the church at Corinth hadn't done anything about it and hadn't taken any corrective measures. And Paul really rebukes them. What's interesting in chapter 5 there of 1 Corinthians that Paul identifies the problem, but the one he criticizes over it are those who, other members of the church at Corinth who hadn't done anything. He seriously rebuked them. You know, sometimes when a problem situation arises in the church, I've actually heard Christians say, well, that's none of my business. Uh, and they act as though they don't have any responsibility to deal with problems when they come up in the church. Uh, I want to suggest to you that here in the church at Corinth, Paul was condemning the whole church because that situation existed and nothing was being done to correct it. It's not just the job of the elders of the church to address problems that come up in the church. We all must be concerned. We all must do what we can. Uh, sometimes when the church is forced to exercise discipline against an unruly or an ungodly member, you'll hear people say, well, I just don't go along with that and I'm not going to participate in that. I don't, I don't agree with that sort of thing. As though it's, they don't have any burden to deal with those who are an heir who need correction. Now, we could, we could get sidetracked here and talk about the whole matter of withdrawing ourselves. The New Testament definitely teaches it. We understand in passages like Second Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, verses 14 and following, that it is actually a sign of our love for a wayward member, uh, an, an effort to restore them when things have gotten very bad. But it's far, and it's a difficult thing. We all acknowledge that it's a difficult thing, but it's far more dangerous to ignore the situation and let it go on as they had done in Corinth. And so sometimes there's a church problem involving immorality, like at Corinth. And Paul said, Yo, what have you been doing anyway? Sticking your head in the sand and ignoring it? That doesn't make it right. Uh, the Lord spoke to the church at Pergamos in Revelation chapter 2. Their problem was a doctrinal issue. In Revelation 2, beginning verse 12, to the angel of the church at Pergamos, write, I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly. Uh, here was a situation where false doctrine was being taught and it was being tolerated. Nothing was being done about that. And the Lord said, who? He said to repent. Who? The ones who were teaching the false doctrine? Well, certainly they needed to repent. But this command to repent was to the church that was allowing those to proclaim that false doctrine without putting a stop to it. And so, again, uh, there was a, a church problem 
some people were apparently just sticking their head in the sand and ignoring that it even existed. Well, perhaps you could think of other illustrations of the concept, but I hope you get the idea that we want to convey in our lesson this morning. There's a lot of danger in the spiritual world all around us. It is just absolutely ridiculous for us to ignore those realities, uh, realities uh, in our own lives, realities concerning our families, realities about what goes on in the local congregation. It doesn't help. It doesn't work. In fact, things are only going to get worse if we stick our head in the sand. Uh, hiding from a problem never makes it any better. We've got to take scriptural measures to resolve those kind of issues when they come up. We appreciate your attention to what we've had to say and hope that it's a helpful reminder that we need to be constantly vigilant. Peter said Satan is like a, a roaring lion, constantly stalking about, seeking whom he may devour. The dangers are real around us spiritually. Don't ignore them. Be fully perceptive in your own life, in your family life, as we work together in the local church. Keep your eyes wide open and aware of all that's going on around us. Nothing else, uh, no other danger, no physical danger can compare to the spiritual dangers we face. Thanks for listening. We're going to end our lesson with a song of invitation. As we sing this song, we'll be asking you, are you right with God? Is your life right with God? Now, it may be that you've never obeyed the gospel plan of salvation, but if you understand those truths and those necessary steps, we encourage you to take them without delay. Upon hearing the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help you with that, let us know if you have are a Christian already, but you've fallen away. What you need to do is repent. Confess your faults. Pray to God for forgiveness. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song. Oh.